Welcome to Ditch the Binge, the podcast where I help you stop binge eating and build a banging body image without having to obsessively track all your meals, be haunted by the scale, or waste another year of your life being controlled by how you look. If you are finally ready to end the war with food and body and grab life by the balls, you are in the right place. I am looking forward to today's topic, which is alcohol recovery versus food recovery. Now, this topic is near and dear to my heart as, well, quite literally all of these are, (laughs) because this is all stuff that I've been through. But this one particularly has a really deep place in my heart because this is something that for years... I would just kind of pound my head against the wall asking myself, what is wrong with me? Like, how can I be sober and not figure out my food thing? Now, please don't be turned off by that sobriety statement. If you are not in recovery from alcohol or drugs, if you don't have an addiction like that, this is still going to relate to you. If you've ever attempted a diet, you will get something out of this podcast. So just hang with me because I promise there will be some good takeaways for you. So before we get started, I want to just tell you a little bit about my own experience with sobriety and trying to get into recovery around food. And, you know, you may not resonate with the term recovery, maybe just freedom around food, to stop binge eating, to stop feeling out of control around food. I often use the term, quote, recovery or, quote, binge eating more as all-encompassing terms, just kind of like umbrella terms. You know, often when I say binge eating, I mean the whole kit and caboodle because rarely does someone just binge eat, right? It's never just that isolated thing. It's obsessing about calories, obsessing about exercise, obsessing about their body, obsessing about their weight, obsessing about what other people weigh, obsessing about what other people look like. So it's the whole it's the whole thing that I'm talking about. So try not to use that term and find a way that it doesn't relate to you because it's it's an all-encompassing term. So my kind of first drug of choice, if you will, was food. It was my first addiction. And I'm using these terms really loosely because I don't actually think you can be addicted to food. I don't really think food is a drug of choice. But during that time, and when people tell me I think I'm addicted to sugar or I think I'm addicted to food, while I will disagree at this point, I totally get that feeling. I totally get and resonate with that feeling of just being completely and utterly powerless, just out of control every day, waking up thinking maybe today will be the day, maybe this is the new plan over and over and over. And so my whole thing started with food. It started with restriction. It started with a diet as so many of us do, right? We start off just usually, you know, in our teens for for a lot of us just wanting to, you know, 
lose a few pounds, tone up, lean out, all those good words that we thought were going to be so helpful for us. And, you know, like many of you, it worked in the beginning, right? Pretty effortlessly. And I lost the weight. And with that, then came the compliments, the noticing and the heightened awareness on my body, on how I'd lost weight, on how good I look. And what quickly started as just a little diet to lose a few pounds and running more quickly became something I had no choice. I had to work out. I had to track my calories. And then eventually it became, I couldn't not binge eat at night. And I'm talking like full blown, can't even stand up straight. My stomach is so full, eating frenzies. And I then, you know, quickly turned into bulimia, which almost simultaneously turned into drinking alcoholically because the food got so out of control, felt so chaotic that I then replaced it with alcohol. It quieted my brain. It made everything feel easier and made me not want to eat. So why wouldn't I do that? Unfortunately, you know, I could function much more easily and discreetly when I was binging versus completely blacked out drunk. So I ended up getting sober and that was by no means easy. You know, I had to go to a few rehabs, took me a while, a few wrecked cars, stealing some things, sleeping in random houses, all, all kinds of stuff that goes along with being an alcoholic. But I got sober and I'm so grateful for that. But what never really got addressed was the food. You know, I went through treatment centers. I went through AA. I got a sponsor. I worked the steps. I did all the things. And I was sober. And being around alcohol as time passed with my sobriety, it got easier and easier. And now today, it's just really not a thing. You know, my brother can be making beer and I can be at his house and who cares? I've gone to wine tastings with my family just for the charcuterie boards that they have at some of them, which are outstanding. Uh, David can keep some beers in the fridge and I'm not, you know, sneaking down to the kitchen to get them after he goes to bed. It's just, it just is not a thing for me. It's just completely neutral. I just don't care at all. But I could never figure out how to get that around food. And so eventually, you know, I tried treatment programs. I tried everything. I ended up going to 12-step program for food because I was like, well, it worked for alcohol. I'm sober. I feel completely and utterly powerless in the same way that I did with alcohol. I'm using food in the same way that I did alcohol. It's still that double life. You know, it's still the sneaking around, the lying, the obsession, the always consumed with it, hiding where I've been, hiding the bottles, hiding the wrappers. Like there were just so many parallels 
And so I went to a 12-step meeting for food. There were two main ones that I went to. And before going into one of these 12-step meetings that I had found out was going to be a kind of meal plan, part of me was very excited. Part of me was thinking, this is it. I never have to struggle with this food thing again after I go to this meeting and get the plan. So what did I do the night before the meeting? Well, like a couple days before the meeting, my food got really bad. I was binging nonstop. I was hitting all of the coffee shops, getting all of the day-old pastries, going to the grocery stores, getting the 50% off racks, hitting all of the drive throughs I mean, I was going insane. I felt manic. I felt out of control. I felt chaotic. And in the moment, all that I was thinking while I was going through all of that was, I clearly need this meeting. I'm clearly a food addict. Look at this behavior. A normal person would never do this. This is embarrassing and shameful, and I can't believe I have no control. And now, looking back, I see what a normal and healthy response that was. What a functioning biological response that food frenzy, that out-of-control eating was. Because the 12-step meetings for food are designed in the same way that the 12-step meetings are for alcohol, which is on the abstinence model. No flour, no sugar, weigh and measure, carefully portioned, because we know that we can't control it. So let's look to this plan to tell us what to eat. Let's eliminate these things and then will be on track. And this is the plan that will solve everything. So while the abstinent model, I feel, does work with alcohol, the abstinent model does not work with food. And you can hear my story about this. But more importantly, I want you to think of your own story. I want you to dig into your dieting history. I want you to look into the past of your relationship with food. When have you ever been in complete allowance? I would probably guess never. And now you're going to say, I know some of you out there are thinking, no, listen, I eat whatever I want and it just doesn't matter. I can never stop. But I would imagine that's not true. I bet that when you're eating, quote, whatever you want, thinking about maybe cereal or pastries or pasta or ice cream or some kind of sweet, you're also eating it with a hefty side of guilt, of fear, of panic, of, oh shit, this is probably not a good thing. I shouldn't be doing this. 
and I'm going to stop tomorrow. The same reaction that I had the day before or the days before I went into the food addict meeting. And I self-identified as a food addict because I had no idea what else was wrong with me. That had to be it. That had to be the thing. And when we try to treat our food stuff, when we try to get over binge eating with restriction, you're trying to solve the problem with the cause. You're trying to, to get to the solution with more of the problem. The reason we binge, the number one reason we binge eat, and this isn't from me, this is from like doctors, dietitians, nutritionists, is due to restriction. And so by going into these 12-step meetings, by going into any kind of plan, any kind of plan, I just bring up 12-step meetings because I am sober and I work with a lot of women that are also sober or have been through AA or 12 steps and have been in that same boat that I was of what the hell is wrong with me? How can I figure out my alcohol thing? How can I manage this? How can I get this under control? But I can't eat. I can't exist in the house with a plate of cookies. I can't be trusted around a bag of M&Ms. And that is exactly how I felt too. And then I tried, of course, you know, the 12 steps. If it helped me with that, it should help me with this. The abstinence model around food will backfire. Alcohol, unlike food, is not mandatory for life. (laughs) Alcohol, we are very much able to live without, right? We do not have to have alcohol. And there's also very much a physical withdrawal. There is a very strong, as someone who went through horrifying DTs when I was detoxing from alcohol, there are some severe withdrawal symptoms. And sure, maybe if you've been binging a ton on sugar, you may feel the natural effects of of eating less sugar. That could happen. That could happen. But not at all. All like, I don't know, death from alcohol withdrawal. I mean, you know, when people say they're a food addict, yes, you are addicted to food and that if you do not eat it, you will die. Like, so yes, actually in the most literal sense, we are all addicted to food because we will all die if we don't have it. But with food, like, For the majority of the people that I work with, they want to be able to eat cake on occasion. They'd love to be able to go out and have a a hot apple cider during the holidays. They don't want to never eat flour and sugar. They don't want 
to weigh and measure forever. They don't want to have to look up the nutritional information before they go out to any restaurant. They don't want to live out of Tupperware containers, all of which I did too. And let me tell you, for me, that was not freedom. That's just another form of an eating disorder of just so desperately trying to control. When we tell ourselves we cannot have something, what happens? We want it a hundred times more. You know, this is the abstinence model. When You cannot have flour and sugar. That was my reaction before going into those meetings. So what did I do? I binged my brains out on flour and sugar. I mean, just take a child. Just Let's just use a child in this example. If you tell them they cannot have a toy, what do they want? They want it 10 times more. Even if they've never seen it. If, if it's an old, super old toy and you pull it out of their toy box, you're like, listen, we're taking this to Goodwill. Oh my gosh, they will have a fit. They're like, it's my favorite toy. I love it so much and you can and you're ruining my life and I love it and I want to play with it all the time. And so then they play with it for like a week or two. And then you take it to Goodwill because they just don't really care about it anymore. The same thing happens with us and food. This similar example happened to my client who has been a chronic dieter, never not on a diet, like self-proclaimed professional dieter. <laughs> like she is always on a plan. You name it, she's tried it. And Something that she told me, she actually had two really good examples that I want to share with you. I'm just going to leave her name out of this. But um, one was, you know, we've been working on the allowance around food and she got on our call one day and she said, you know, I had a bunch of chocolate in my house that I had bought and I just didn't really want it. Like I thought I did. But I waited for a little bit. I had some water. I got kind of distracted. And then I realized I just didn't really want it. So I didn't eat it. Because she knew she could always have it. The same client brought another win to our call, which was very exciting for her and for me because cake was a big thing for me. I would always binge on cake. But she said to me, she said, it is my son's birthday and there has been cake, birthday cake in our kitchen for a week. And I had some, I had some at the party when I wanted it, but for the rest of the week, it's just been sitting there. And then I threw it away. And that is a huge win. Like, hello, throwing cake away and then not eating it out of the garbage. Like, I have definitely done that. And she ate what she wanted. The rest of the week, she didn't want it. And then eventually, she threw it away. This is what happens when you're in allowance. 
This is not what happens when you're fighting, you're resisting, you're restricting, you're eliminating, you're tense, you're anxious. All of those feelings that I just said drive us to food faster. Our preoccupation with weight, when we have weight loss as a goal, ultimately puts food on the front of our mind because when we're obsessed about weight, we're obsessed about our body. Therefore, we are obsessed about food, which then makes food our number one coping mechanism. Doesn't that blow? (laughs) Like, isn't that, this is one of my favorite sayings, isn't that just a real kick in the dick? This obsession with our weight makes us obsessed with food, which ultimately makes us go to food faster. I talked about this in my free masterclass that I just put on. And when we start to develop and create that trust with our body, the food becomes less important. The food is like the toy that we get to play with all of the time that just kind of is cool, but we don't have to play with it all the time, every single day. Because it just is what it is. It's just a toy. Another difference between alcohol recovery and food recovery is that alcohol recovery is pretty clear, right? It's pretty black and white. You don't drink. That's it. It's a little bit easier in that sense. Whereas something for me with the food thing is like, how on earth am I supposed to manage something that made me feel entirely more out of control than alcohol ever did. How am I supposed to manage this multiple times a day? You know, it'd be like giving an alcoholic a beer, like three beers a day saying, okay, there you go. You get three, no more. (laughs) That is not going to go well. And so that was such a terrifying thing to me was because I had no idea how on earth I was going to manage and control my food. I I just, I couldn't even wrap my head around it. How do I just stop? How do I stop eating? But then it goes back to that fixation, that obsession with control, with the very right amount, with the appropriate way to eat. That is what will drive us to binge. That is what turns two cookies after dinner to four to 12. The screw it, I've already messed it up. Might as well get it all in and start over tomorrow. Unlike alcohol, our recovery, this process with food is on a spectrum because There are going to be days when you're going to eat a lot of food and it's not going to be a binge. It's not. You're just going to be really full. You know, it may happen more when you're PMSing. It may happen more after you get in an argument with a partner. May happen, who knows when? I mean, I don't know. 
Sometimes there's no rhyme or reason. You're just hungry. You just want more food for no real reason other than you just do. And also, there will be days where you just don't eat a lot. Or maybe you have like this three-week spell where you cannot get enough vegetables. You are just obsessed. You're like, I want a salad at least twice a day. Like, bring it on. Or steamed broccoli with Kerrygold butter. Give it to me. Put it in my mouth. I need it now. And that doesn't mean you're restricting. That doesn't mean you're dieting. That doesn't mean you're back in your eating disorder. That doesn't mean anything other than that's what your body's craving. This work is on a spectrum. And ultimately, at its core, all of this work around food has really nothing to do with your food and everything to do with your thoughts about your food and your body. Because I can't tell you how many women I work with that to the to the naked eye, you know, probably you listening, no one would ever guess that you're binge eating. No one would ever guess that, you know, after work when the lights are out, what happens? You look, quote, you look okay. You've got it together. No one knows. This is in the brain. This is what I do in coaching. This is why no matter what plan you find, it's not going to do it. This is especially why I do not believe in the abstinence model. Because what happens the second you have a piece of chocolate or a piece of cake or a brownie and you're living in that terror that if I have one, I've ruined everything. You know, I have to tell you this little story about me in that 12-step meeting is that I, I had an extra green bean while I was in this 12-step meeting and I called my sponsor and I told her, And she told me that this was basically a failure. I had to restart my time because I went off protocol or plan or I can't even remember what they called it back then. I mean, talk about feeding into the all or nothing type of thinking. One green bean. Nope, got to start over. Sorry, stick to your plan. Whoa. All that did was perpetuate the belief that there is a right and a wrong way of eating. And listen, if you're a human, if you have a pulse, your food is not going to be perfect. You're still going to go through human emotions. You're still going to have life stuff come up. You're still going to go to a party and there's going to be the most delicious dessert you've ever had and you want all of it. (laughs) You want to eat way past full because it is so Good. And that is okay. That is part of the amazing human experience is getting to enjoy all of life because food is emotional. Food is emotional. Food is communal. You can eat out of pleasure and enjoyment without having to feel out of control. You can eat out of pleasure and enjoyment without it being a binge. 
Because in my experience, binging is not that pleasurable. There's like mm, two minutes of pleasure and then the rest of it is pain and regret. So if you are someone who is maybe sober and you've tried 12-step programs and or any other kind of restriction-based plan, elimination-based plan, and you have not successfully been able to do it. This is why the restriction models do not, or the, excuse me, the abstinence models do not work. They do not work for, for us, for, for you, for my type of people. And you know that. You've tried time and time again. And like my client, she had dieted for decades. And finally, she has let go of dieting. And believe it or not, she didn't eat the entire birthday cake. And that's just one story. That's just one of the many. I mean, another client, she couldn't keep anything in her fridge because she, when we started working together, was on a really strict eating plan, very similar to my 12-step program. And sure, she was thin and a fucking wreck, like, and stressed out and on edge and angry and anxious. That is not freedom to me. (laughs) That wasn't freedom to her either. That's why we started working together because she was like, if this is it, I don't want it. And now, anything she wants in her fridge. And actually, now that she can have anything that she wants, she's finding she doesn't even want what she was binging on before. In fact, she told me a story where her main binge food, even her just like main comfort food after she stopped binging was on sale at the grocery store. And she's like, I just don't want it anymore. I just don't want it. This is possible for you too. If you are someone who has tried everything and you are ready to be done with food, you are ready to just stop having food control your life, to have to cope with food over every single emotion. You want a life outside of obsessing about food and weight. You want to be like my client who can eat cake or not. Just pass. Throw it away. Walk past it and just not even care. Or my other client who just didn't really want to buy or binge foods anymore. They're just not as appealing now. She eats what actually feels good to her body. She trusts herself. If you want that relationship with food, so you can ultimately have relationships outside of food, you can apply to work with me one-on-one. You can do that by hitting the link in my show I just notes. I wanted to say I'll thank you my so email much for being address here in there. and listening and, and just send me a message saying you're curious about coaching and you want to know more and I will it follow up with you the uh, world with next me. steps. It would also mean the you world to me. You can also connect with me on Instagram. I will drop that in the show notes as well. To the show and, and I definitely encourage you to get on my email list. I send out some good emails. Once a week, this maybe podcast. twice a week if I'm and feeling extra spicy. So be sure and get me. on that Thanks as well. Thanks for hanging in there. I hope that this episode was insightful and helpful for you and that it makes you see that you're not alone and you're not crazy 
and the relationship with food that you want is so much closer than you think. All right, my friends, I will talk to you next week.